0: Well, this is the second week in our series, Prepare the Way. Uh, Last week, we talked about preparing our minds, and we gave you some very practical ways you could do that. Uh, Today is about preparing our attitudes. And I want to talk about an attitude of anticipation. Uh, Think about how we love anticipation. We say things like, I just can't wait for that movie to come out. I just can't wait for the next season of whatever that show that you love, to come out. I can't wait to get married. I can't wait for those cookies to be done. I can't wait for the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. I can't wait for the Warriors to win a game. I think one of the reasons I love Christmas so much is that Christmas is just full of anticipation. You say, I just can't wait for Christmas to be here. I can't wait to go home for Christmas. I can't wait to see family. I can't wait to bring a friend to Blue Oaks on Christmas Eve. I just can't wait to see how God moves in people's lives this Christmas. I love anticipation. You know, when you're standing in line uh, at Six Flags waiting for a roller coaster, I mean, it's the best part of the ride, standing there waiting because your heart is just full of anticipation. In fact, being next in line is probably the most fun. I mean, it's the most fun place to be, right? Except when you're at a dentist office. (laughs) There's a big difference between, between being like the 50th in line waiting at Best Buy for the new gaming system and quite another to be next in line. Being next feels great. You know, when you're standing in a long line at the store or at the airport or at the bank and all of a sudden, You're finally next just feels great. You can hardly contain yourself when you're next. I think being next is actually better than actually taking your turn. Um, There's just this adrenaline rush when you're next. Often I'll just let people go ahead of me just so that I can continue to be next. Okay, maybe I don't. But there's something about being next. There's something about living with this sense of anticipation. Well, in Luke 1, we find that Israel is waiting Uh, For centuries, they have been waiting. Uh, They were oppressed in Egypt. They were oppressed by Babylon, uh, Persia, Assyria. They were oppressed by their own uh, rebellion and sin and division. Uh, Now they're oppressed by the vast Roman Empire. Uh, Their own King Herod wasn't much better. And so they've waited. Uh, Many waited. Millions waited. But only a few waited with a sense of anticipation, In the first couple chapters of the book of Luke, where the dateline is approximately 6 BC, uh, it's been about 400 years since uh, people had word from God about the promised Messiah. Uh, It was a time of silence, a time when it might have been easy to give up hope. And it's in those two chapters that we're introduced to some amazing people, uh, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, Simeon, and Anna, Uh, People who lived with this sense that they're next. The Messiah really is coming. God really is moving, just like he said he would. We're next. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And much like Abraham and Sarah of the Old Testament, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both very old, and they were not able to have children. Uh, Zechariah was a priest, and you'll see in the first chapter of Luke that from the time of David, there were 24 divisions of priests, and Zechariah was in one of those divisions. Uh, In every division, a priest was responsible for the whole week's service at the temple, once every six months. And this was Zechariah's particular week. Um, He had gone into the inner part of the temple to keep the incense burning. Uh, Not not everyone got to do this job. Not every priest got to do this job. Uh, It was a privilege to get picked to uh, be in the Holy of Holies, kind of like a lottery system. And so Zechariah's number comes up and he gets to go into this most holy place to burn incense on behalf of all the people who are waiting outside. And while he's in there, listen to what happens. Luke 1, 11 to 15. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He said, Zechariah, your son, John, is going to be filled with God's spirit, and he's going to move through life with power and wisdom, and he's going to prepare the way for the promised Messiah. I mean, he's going to draw people back to God, and he's going to get their hearts ready for his arrival. Uh, He may not be seen as great in the eyes of men, but he's going to be seen as great in the eyes of God. And Zechariah's response is basically, uh, excuse me? Like, you've got to be kidding. Like, my wife and I are, like, really old. And I love verse 19. Gabriel kind of uh, gets an attitude with Zechariah. I am Gabriel... I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so Zechariah is unable to speak for nine months. Zechariah goes home and he writes down to Elizabeth what's going to happen. And Elizabeth does get pregnant. Uh, She's thrilled about the fact that they're going to have a baby. There was a stigma in those days, a social stigma, that if you were unable to conceive, God must be punishing you for some uh, severe secret sin that you've committed. And Elizabeth says, The Lord has done this for me. He has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And then down to verse 28. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. will reign or will never end. Uh, how will this be Mary asked the angel since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you, so the holy one to be born will be called the son of god." Even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she who, was, who who was said to be unable to conceive is in her 6th month. For no word from god will ever fail, and i would just like you to sit with that phrase. This week, no word come from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I would love to live with that kind of anticipation. Wouldn't you? I mean, I want to be able to say, God, like whatever you want to do with my life, like wherever you want to take me, however you want to lead me, God, I really believe you know better than I do. And I just want to be used by you. And I don't really fully understand it all, uh, but I know one thing, I trust you. And I eagerly anticipate what you're going to do with my life. We read that Mary was filled with this anticipation and excitement, and she hurried down to see Elizabeth. Uh, And this isn't like she just went next door to see Elizabeth. Uh, She had to pack up and travel from Nazareth all the way down to Judah to see Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And when she gets there, she's filled with anticipation. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth says, you are so blessed, and this child you are carrying is my Lord. In fact, look at verses 44 and 45. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth looks at Mary and says, I'm telling you. Like, we are so excited for you. I'm excited. Zechariah is excited. He can't really say much about it, but believe me, he's excited. I mean, the joy of anticipation. Well, the day comes when John is born. Uh, Friends and neighbors and family are so happy for Elizabeth, and they assume they're going to name this son Zechariah. That was a total, uh, just a normal practice in that day, to name a son after a father. Uh, But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. Uh, No one in the family was named John. And so they all turned to Zechariah to find out what he thinks. And Zechariah asks for a writing tablet, uh, probably a piece of wood with uh, wax covering. And look at verse uh, 63. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And when he does that, immediately he is able to speak. And it says, the people were filled with awe. And they said, this is going to be a special child. And, you know, when my daughter was born, I mean, you couldn't shut me up. Um, I mean, imagine being Zechariah and unable to speak about this for nine months. And then he stands up and he just kind of lets loose with a song about what's happening. It's recorded in Luke 1, 69 to 70, or 67 to 79, if you want to read it uh, later. Uh, he says what we've been what we've waited for has actually come true. The Lord has raised up this horn of salvation. Salvation is coming for all the people. And then he grabs his little boy, and in verses 76 to 79, this is what he says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And that's exactly what John the Baptist would grow up to do. He would eagerly uh, prepare the way for Jesus's arrival. And he also would live with this sense of anticipation for the day when Jesus would actually walk into the Jordan River with him, and he could say to all the people there, like, look, here he is. Like, he's the one I've been talking about. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's the power of living with anticipation. Now look at Luke 2, 25 and 26. Here's a guy that we don't hear a whole lot about at Christmas, Um or in this whole Christmas story. Now, there's a, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Uh, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Uh, now, I don't know if you've noticed how many times the Holy Spirit is actually mentioned in this Christmas story. Uh, It's like the angel, when the angel said uh, to Zechariah, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. All right, continue in Luke 2. Moved by the spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant In peace, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. It's kind of a remarkable thing that this Jewish man would recognize that this is not just for Israel. Like this is for all people. This is a revelation for people all over the world. And he says, God, you know what? I mean, you could just take me home now. Like, because I've been waiting, I've been anticipating this moment for my entire life and I got up this morning and I thought, you know, this might be the day and it actually is the day you can just take me home now. Do you live with a sense of hope like that? Do you ever get up and you think, you know what? This might be the day. Like, this just might be the day that I make a difference. This just might be the day Where I make a new friend. This just might be the day when my old friend believes in God. This just might be the day when my parents believe in God. This just might be the day when my kids believe in God. This just might be the day when my spouse stops drinking. This just might be the day when my dad finally hugs me. This just might be the day when my heart finally feels ready to love again. This just might be the day when I finally pass my finals test. This just might be the day when God answers that God use me prayer that I've been praying. Now I'm not talking about living with unrealistic expectations. Uh, there are some things you have no control over and many times you just need to move on with your life. I'm talking about living with a sense of trust in God. When you live with a sense of hope and anticipation It moves your focus off of the situation that you might be in and onto the one who promises to work in your life, uh, however and wherever he chooses to. He may not do it in the way that you expect or exactly the way that you think it should be done, but he causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. If you remember in our series in October, it's Romans 8.28. It's a great promise. Mary said, I don't get it. But I'm your servant. Whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. And now Simeon tells her it's not going to be exactly like she might have expected it was going to be. Uh, Look at verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will, a sword will, will pierce your own soul too. He's saying, Mary, listen, it's not going to be the way that you think it's going to be. I mean, he's going to kind of shake things up. I mean, the proud, uh, the mighty, the self-righteous, they're going to fall. And the poor, the blind, the crippled, the oppressed, the forgotten, the humble, uh, they're going to rise up, and he's going to reveal everyone's heart for what it truly is. And as wonderful as your little boy is, it's not gonna be easy for you to watch what's going to happen. And it wasn't. But God used her for his perfect plan. In Luke 2, 36 to 38, we see there was another woman in this story that was living with this sense of daily anticipation. She's called a prophetess. Her name was Anna. Luke says that she had been married for seven years and she was widowed for 84 years. Uh, Now, some commentaries say that she was 84 years old. Uh, Others say that she was married for seven years and then she was widowed for 84 years. So even if she was married at the earliest age of 12, which was common in that culture, she would be 103. And so whether she was 84 or 103, uh, I mean, she was really old. Uh, But obviously, (laughs) obviously she was very vibrant. Uh, She's at the temple all the time, day and night. She's there. Uh, She's prayed, she's fasted, uh, she's eagerly anticipating the coming of the promised Messiah. And then in verse 38, Luke says she came along just as Simeon was walking with Mary and Joseph. Uh, Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And when I was reading this text, it stood out to me how Simeon and Anna just held on to the word of God, and how Zechariah and Elizabeth and John and Mary all trusted what God had said. I mean, they waited with anticipation for God to come through. They knew that nothing was impossible for God. They knew that he would never, ever break a promise. They knew that no word from God ever fails. And I wonder if you believe that today. Do you believe that no word from God ever fails? You see, the Messiah had been promised for thousands of years. All kinds of prophecy about a Savior coming, going all the way back to Genesis 3.15, where it talks about the seed of a woman crushing the head of the serpent someday. There are shadows throughout all of history in the Old Testament of the one who would bring deliverance and forgiveness and re- forgiveness and redemption and restoration and joy and peace and eternal life. The difference between these people and most other people was, they actually believed it. They really held on to these prophecies. They held on to these promises. They held on to the word of God. And I'm guessing Zechariah had this prophecy memorized. Uh, it was written hundreds of years before his son John and Jesus would be born. Uh, look at Isaiah 40, to 5 Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double For all her sins. A voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Spoken. And I'm just guessing that Zechariah held on to that. I'm guessing that Simeon and Anna probably prayed through like prophecy scripture just like that a hundred times in their hundred years as they anticipated the consolation of Jerusalem, the coming of the Messiah. Look what it says in Isaiah 52, kind of a lengthy prophecy, but you can follow along on the screens. Shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For this is what the Lord says, you were sold for nothing and without money you will be redeemed. Isn't that cool? Without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, at first my people went down into to Egypt to live, lately Assyria has oppressed them, and now what do I have here, declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long my name is constantly blasphemed, therefore my people will know my name, therefore in the day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mounds of the feet are those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up your voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. You see, these words were written hundreds of years before Zechariah burst into song. They were written centuries before Simeon and Anna held that baby boy Jesus up for all the people to see, proclaiming, this is the one that we've been waiting for, the one who's going to redeem all people. He is here. And it would have been so easy to lose hope in all those years of silence. But they knew that no word from God ever fails. And so they lived their lives with this sense of anticipation, waiting for the Lord to move, expecting the Lord to move, trusting that he was someday going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. I read an article in in the news. It was talking about, the frustration that people experience in parking lots of shopping malls around this time. Uh, It's talking about how one guy had to wait 15 minutes for a parking parking spot. Have you tried parking in the outlet malls recently? I mean, it's gotta be the worst design in the history of a shopping mall parking lot, right? Um, I hate waiting in that parking lot. Um, We just hate to wait, don't we? I mean, it's just human nature. We hate to wait. Well, waiting in scripture is actually an active term. Uh, it's a patient thing, but it's not a passive thing. Uh, it's not like lie down, take a nap, and you know, whatever God wants to happen is gonna happen. Rather, it's moving through life with a purpose and with hope and with anticipation. According, God, according to God, to wait means to keep moving through life while you rest in the assurance that he's already at work in your life. Instead of staying in bed every day and just waiting on God, you get up out of bed every morning with a sense of anticipation that God is going to move in and through your life today. You live with this realization that it may not work out exactly how you thought it might, but that God happens to be much smarter than we are, and he has a much better view from above. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. We see through a glass dimly. He sees very clearly. It means you move through life believing that He really does have your best interest at heart and that no word from God ever fails. You live with that same attitude that Mary had. You say, I don't understand it, but my life is yours. Whatever you want to do, I'm fine with it. I trust you completely. Therefore, I move through this day with this sense of joyful anticipation. I mean, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to live in my family. I'm going to encourage my friends. I'm going to serve my world today. And while resting in his wisdom, expecting him to move in and through me and being sensitive to his voice of leadership as he gives me direction throughout my day, moment by moment. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. That's what it means to live with this sense of anticipation every day. Listen to what the word of God says about waiting with a sense of anticipation. Uh, Psalm 135. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I love what the New Living Translation, how the New Living Translation puts this. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I'm counting on him. I've put my hope in his word. David, who, like Simeon, lived with a sense of anticipation, wrote in Psalm 27, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 30, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise, he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. He's saying God takes time To do everything right. And those who anticipate that, I mean, those are the ones who are going to be blessed in their lives. Again, Isaiah, probably one of the most famous passages in all the Bible, Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. He's saying if you anticipate strength from God, you will find it. If you don't, you won't. If you say to God, I know you're going to give me the strength to face the situation. I'm not going to try to manufacture it on my own. I will wait on your perfect strength to flood my heart at your perfect time. You said it would happen, and I believe it will happen, God. In Psalm 37, David writes, trust in the Lord and do good. I love that little phrase. Trust in the Lord and do good. He says that sometimes you just wait for God But you have to do something, right? Just trust in the Lord and do good. Just trust him and just keep doing good. Just do the next good thing you know to do. Just keep moving ahead. God's going to honor you for that. In Psalm 37, uh, David goes on to say that if you do that, you'll live safely in the land and you'll prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust him and he will do it. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. All right, one more, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Now, unlike the people of the Old Testament and unlike the people in Luke 1 and 2, uh, we're not waiting for the promised Messiah, we're not waiting for uh, the Savior, the Christ. I mean, he's already come. He's already given us new life. But we do live with this sense of anticipation that he's actually going to come back again someday. We live with this sense of anticipation of a new day when everything will be set right, when paradise lost will become paradise restored. Paul says in Romans eight twenty-three. Uh, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as if in the uh, the pains of childbirth uh, right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. I'm anticipating that. Are you? The redemption of our bodies. You know what that means? No more pain in our bodies. Six-pack abs. I mean, it's like... We have that to wait for. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 9, verse 28, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He's already taken care of that. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Those who are waiting in eager anticipation. Uh, Titus writes, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is coming back. And the writers of Scripture make it clear that we ought to live with this sense of anticipation that it may be one day soon, it may be today, and things are going to be made right. Does mean no more poverty, no more war, no more racism, no more pornography, no more cancer, no more dementia, no more crime, no more abuse, no more evil, no more darkness? I mean, John writes in Revelation 22:5, there will be no need for light, for candles, for lamps, for street lights, for track lights, for spotlights, for floodlights, for Christmas lights, for even the sun, because the Lord God will be our light. There will be no more darkness. And what a day that's going to be. And that's why we live with this sense of anticipation. But until that day comes, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth and John and Mary and Simeon and Anna, we live with this same kind of hope every day. Trusting God, holding on to his unbreakable word, eagerly anticipating what God just might be up to in our life today and allowing him to use you this day to be Jesus to the people all around you until he comes again one day? Well, there are only 17 days until Christmas. Can you feel it? He's coming. So let's celebrate like he has come and let's celebrate like he is coming again one day. All right, let me close in prayer. God, I pray that you would help us to live with this sense of anticipation for what you're going to do in our lives today, but for that time when you're going to come again and you're going to restore this world to the way it should be. And to that day when we're going to spend an eternity with you, God, help us to live with that same kind of anticipation that people lived with before the coming of Christ. Help us to have that attitude as we approach uh, Christmas. And uh, I just pray that you would fill us up throughout this time as we are anticipating. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now just take a moment to fill out your Next Step card and place that in the offering basket when it goes by in the next uh, few moments. And while you're filling out your Next Step card, I just want to take a moment to thank those of you who responded to our email uh, a couple weeks ago about the year-end giving. Uh, Your generosity is actually helping us to advance God's kingdom in this community. Uh, And for those of you who have not decided about year-end giving yet, um, I just want to ask you to consider giving to one of the funds at Blue Oaks. Uh, We have three funds that you can give to, our Compassion Fund, uh, our Everyone Building Fund, and our General Fund. And through our Compassion Fund, uh, we want to be a visible demonstration of Christ's love to this community Um, attracting those to our church who believe uh, a church can make such a difference. Uh, We want our partner organizations to be dumbfounded by our irrational generosity. And that's why we currently are driving almost $500,000 of investment into our partner organizations. Uh, The Everyone Building Fund was launched three years ago uh, for the purpose of creating a permanent church home. Uh, A church is more than a building, but a building becomes a key gathering place for us on Sunday morning and throughout the week. And as most of you know, we were able to purchase a building in September and now are actively pursuing renovation plans to convert an office space into our church. Um, and we will need approximately 2.5 million to actually complete the renovation. Um, so you can give to that fund. And then the general fund is used to uh, pay everything from our salaries to our you know, renting Foothill High School, Uh, It supports things that happen throughout the week, our next-gen ministry, uh, and uh, all those things, including Sunday mornings. And so I just want to ask you, as you're prayerfully considering, where to give uh, in the year-end that you would give to one of these funds at Blue Oaks. Um, And the last thing that I want to mention is uh, you were given Christmas invites on your way in. And so will you take those, and will you be praying for those people in your life that... God might put on your heart to extend an invitation to, you know, this is the easiest time of the year to extend an invitation to friends, family, and neighbors uh, to come with you to church. Um, And so just take invites. You can take as many as you want. There are uh, some in the foyer on the tables as you leave. Um, But I mean, if you're talking to someone and you're asking about Christmas Eve plans and they don't really have plans, I mean, that's a great opportunity for you just to extend an invitation to them. All right, now the ushers are going to come forward to receive the offering and the band is going to lead us in a closing song. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today.